This is Confluence, where great ideas flow together. This is Confluence, where great ideas flow together, the podcast of the Graduate School of the University of Montana. I'm Ashby Kinch, Dean of the Graduate School. On Confluence, we travel down the tributaries of wisdom and beauty that enrich the soil of knowledge on our beautiful mountain campus. This episode is in a series featuring faculty fellows in the Willow Grant, which aims to increase success of Native American STEM faculty and advance knowledge about issues impacting their career progression. The project is in its sixth year of exploring indigenous research methodologies and ways of indigenizing academia, while also supporting the advancement of indigenous scholars in various professorial roles at both tribal and non-tribal universities. The Willow Alliance is a collaboration among faculty from Salish Kootenai College and the University of Montana. The project is led by Dr. Ruth Pliny Sweetgrassy Kills from Nueta Hidatsa Sanish College and funded by the National Science Foundation through its Alliance for Graduate Education and the Professoriate. Listeners can learn more about the grant at the link in the show notes. The Graduate School is pleased to present this podcast series focusing on the experience of individual faculty members and key personnel who tell their stories of finding their way in an academic context that is not always well aligned with Native cultural and intellectual values. But their stories demonstrate creative and successful approaches to supporting Indigenous research and developing a new cadre of Native faculty who play such a vital role in expanding the intellectual and cultural capacity of the state of Montana. In this episode, we talk with Dean Nikolai, head of the Native American Studies Department at Salish Kootenai College. Dean's teaching at SKC and his field work in archaeology throughout the state are grounded in his desire to develop practices that build from indigenous knowledge. He increasingly rejects techniques that disturb cultural sites or the landscape. Instead, he seeks to explore sites in a way that's less invasive than Western scientific methods, using story to inform the direction his research takes. In our conversation, he tells the story of his educational journey, how he got inspired to pursue anthropology and Native American studies, and the essential role mentors have played in opening up new paths for his life. Like other opportunities that have shaped his career, The Willow Alliance has brought him in contact with inspiring and engaged scholars. We are delighted to share his story with listeners who will appreciate Dean's gusto for exploring all life has to offer. Welcome to Confluence, where we attend to immense amplitudes and follow the river's course. Welcome to Confluence, Dean. Uh, Well... I'm happy to be here. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and thanks for coming down. You, you came down from Salish Kootenai College, where you're a faculty yeah. member, mm-hmm. and it's one of the wonderful relationships between uh, UM and SKC. It's relatively close, mm-hmm. so we, we can get down there in about an hour, and y'all can come visit us. And yep. so it's been great in the last year. I've had the the pleasure of being up there a couple times and meet with faculty down here. But today we're kind of joined to talk about the Willow Grant, which is this wonderful grant opportunity that you're part of. And I want to just, you know, hear your story about the Willow Grant, how you came to be involved, what your part in that grant is. Yeah. Um, well, the, the first time I ever heard about it was we were actually sitting in a faculty in-service at the beginning of the year, which is what we do at SKC to kind of initially get things going. But um, we were sitting in there and uh, Shandine Pete, who was the, the administrator at, on the SKC side at that time, 
said, we're launching this Willow Fellowship. And he started naming names off of who's going to be one of the fellows. And uh, he, he mentions me and my colleague, Aaron Brin, and we're, we looked at each other, you know, what, what's going on here? Yeah. I didn't know I was a part of, part of it. And I, so I just raised my hand and I said, Sean Dean, what is this Willow thing you're talking about? And he said, well, it's, a, it's to support Native American faculty in STEM fields. And I said, well, hold on. I said, STEM fields? Because, um, you know, I'm an anthropologist for the most part, and we've never really been considered part of the STEM field. Right. You know, especially when you're writing grants and things like that, they just look at it and like, oh, you soft science, you know, yep. we'll see you guys later kind of thing. You yeah, know? So yeah. I just said I'd made the comment in front of like all the faculty. I said, so I'm STEM now? <laughs> <You know? laughs> news and, to me. Yeah, news to me. And I said, okay, well, what is this? And then we had some initial meetings and tried to figure out what was going to go on there. Yeah. Um, but it, it, for the most part, it was kind of confusing at first because I didn't really know what it was. Um, they said they were going to support us and they had some different ideas about how to do that. So initially our meetings were basically hashing out differences between faculty and, uh, the things they do comparison to U, U of M and SKC. And what I started to learn was that we're very different as far as how faculty are viewed in our duties as well. So like Aaron Thomas, he's part of the fellowship program as well. And he started talking about that they do a lot of buyouts for grants and they bring in adjuncts to teach their classes. And it's part of the 10 year track to do these kinds of things. And, and so we were, me and Aaron, we were both going, well, that's not what we do at all at SKC. We're totally different you're in the trenches we're in the trenches trenches teaching Mm -hmm. really primary teaching faculty but advising and support and mentoring Mm -hmm. of students yeah so we so right away we knew there was a lot of differences and we're like well how is willow going to support us in comparison to other faculty in other places so they had some ideas about well maybe write a grant maybe try to publish something we'll even buy out part of your teaching load and i said well that's not going to happen because mm. we're hired at SKC to teach. That's why, why we're there. And our, and our president even says, um, if you're faculty here, you're already tenured. <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. So there's none of that kind of like the idea that we're going to lose our jobs because we're not publishing or writing grants and bringing in money. And, and the whole reason I'm there in the first place is because I like to teach, yeah. you know, and so I didn't know that until I started teaching there. <laughs> but, yeah. but once, like you said, once I got in the trenches, I mean, I just, that's what I want to do. So I wasn't interested in a buyout for publication or writing grants or anything like that. So they supported us initially with some like small funding just to support us. But still, like the first and second year, I really wasn't sure what we were doing. So it seems like what's actually came out of it is that there's a better understanding now of how faculty do their jobs at a small yeah, d- different pathways, mm-hmm. right? Different different ways to be a faculty member, yeah. you know, within this broader umbrella. Yeah, of course. And then, and then, you know, the fellows that we started off with, not all of them are still with us. You know, people have moved on to do other things. Like Aaron Brin left, and now he's the tippo for the Crow Tribe. Stop uh, for a second. 
Define tempo for our oh, general. Sorry. Yeah, oh, yeah. Sorry. I mean, no. I, that's something I wanted to talk about, but just, you know, that's a comfortable acronym in Indian yeah. country, but other yeah. people might not know. Yeah, I, I, sometimes I do that thinking that everybody understands what the acronyms mean, but it's the Tribal Historic Preservation Officer. Right. Um, and every tribe has one. Well, not all tribes have them. Um, it's supported by the National Park Service, but it's part of the National Historic Preservation Act and some other things that are out there as far as policy and law when it comes to preservation work. But yeah, so he left to become the TIPO officer. And so we've had a change of personnel. There's been there's been a lot of administrators kind of seem to come and go. I think we're on our third administrator at SKC now. That's like the, our support person, you know. So I think I'm not sure who all the support people are at U of M, but um, there seems to be quite a few. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so one of the things I noticed right away was that there was um, like a gap in between the administrators and the fellows that we didn't really seem to know what administrators were doing. Um, other than supporting us and having their meetings and, and also writing reports and things like that. So, but we've had pretty steady meetings over the last three, three years or so in the program, but I think we're right at the end of it now. So yes. um, Deanna Kreider is now our administrator and I've been meeting with her quite a bit, actually. They did a no cost extension, I think, for the grant. And so there's some money to spend out there. So we're actually going to go to Puerto Rico at the end of the month for the SACNIS conference. Yeah, and SACNIS, for, again, for listeners, really important uh, society for the advancement of Chicano um, and Native American science. Yeah, something Is that like right? that. Yeah, yeah, it's, a, it's a pretty tongue twister. but It's a tongue twister, but it's a really <laughs> it's important it's STEM-focused, right? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. but, but broad STEM for Native American scientists, but also Chicano scientists, mm-hmm. so, which is an interesting combination. That's what I'm ex- most excited about for this trip because it sounds like they've – <clears throat> talked to a couple people there that are doing archaeological work there. Mm-hmm. And so they've set up some meetings for me to Fantastic. go and visit with them. So yeah. I'm really interested to see what they're doing as far as archaeology in Puerto Rico. And I'm wondering, I mean, I have a lot of questions already because I'm thinking of like the hurricanes that have come through there disturbing things and uncovering right. things and maybe covering things back up. I don't, I'm just interested in what they're doing as far as yeah. maybe salvage archeology span and things like that in, in Puerto Rico. But um, it's a whole new world that I'm not familiar with. So I'm really excited to go visit with these folks and see what it's all about. And there's a pretty substantial mm-hmm. delegation going down. I know Ko Wu, who's one yeah. of the program mm-hmm. administrators at Montana is going, you're yeah. going, who else is going? I think down? there's a, around five of us. I just know me and Ka are going. I think Ren Freeman is going as well. Um, I'm not sure the others. Yeah. Uh, but they did put me as the driver. So <laughs> I'll be checking out the van and driving people around, I guess. So I'll have that duty as well. Nice. <laughs> yeah, but, but they do drive on the correct side of the road. Over I right? hope it's, so. It's an American. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so the Willow Grant, you know, like you said, you joined it kind of midstream. It was already kind of up and running and now it's kind of coming to an end. What kind of impact has it had for you? Um, what, what kinds of things have kind of merged for you? Well, like I said, I, I realize now I'm part of the STEM world, so that's kind of cool. But, you know, they have uh, just meeting the people, having conversations. That's that's always something that's pretty fun to do with. You know, they're all educators, administrators. So, I mean, there's a lot of minds and a lot of ideas going on. But I think right now is probably the most exciting part for me because um, I've been visiting with Diana here the last two weeks and they want to support some sort of project for me. And so I talked with them about possibly creating a master's degree in travel historic preservation, which would be housed at SKC, San Scutney College. And I already already have a pretty good rough draft of what that would look like. And then possibly supporting uh, me financially 
to pursue my doctorate as part of this development of this degree. <clears throat> so it'd be more like a professor. I guess it'd be a dissertation, but I'm not sure what it's going to look like. But yeah. I, for me, I never really considered, oh, after getting my master's to even pursue a doctorate. I I've, I've kind of feel like that I'm at a spot at SKC where I, um, I enjoy being there. I could see myself being there till I retire. So I didn't think that I really needed to pursue that because I'm already doing the things I want to do there. But in order to teach, of course, you would know this in a master's degree program, yeah. you need a doctoral degree. Yeah. And so I think that would benefit our students. Um, it would benefit our community, benefit the college for sure. It'll keep our students that we already have in our preservation program there as well because they could stay there. And mm-hmm. what our students that have been re- graduating out of that program have been coming to U of M for the most part if they're pursuing a graduate degree. Because I know the folks here, I kind of have a an inside. So I've had some really good feedback, and our students that are coming out of SKC coming into U of M have done really well. And actually, in our pre-conversation, talking about Kelly Dixon, she was telling me that the students that uh, we've been sending them are really prepared. And she goes, they're actually sometimes more prepared than some of our students, which I thought was a really big compliment. I've talked to her about that before, and I think that's really important to stress. It's not just that y'all are doing an excellent job teaching, which you are, obviously, Mm -hmm. right? It's also that out of that SKC community, the way you teach your work, the way you teach tribal historical historic preservation Mm -hmm grounds you in an ethical system that Anglo students are not getting. In other words, you understand things about how to do work in Indian country in particular that is a very steep learning curve Mm -hmm. for a student who's coming out of an Anglo education tradition, a a primarily white institution. (laughs) I mean, it's a a thing we've stressed a lot on on this episode when we've talked with Native scholars is that there's a distinct body of knowledge there that is valuable. It has its mm-hmm. own intrinsic value and it's contributing mm-hmm. to the advancement of a lot of fields. And your area is a crucial one where, mm-hmm. you know, an archaeologist like yourself is working right in the middle of a, a tribal community and you know what matters, what what the value system of that research yeah. is. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Yeah, and it does actually because, you know, being at U of M was quite different. It was It wasn't really a culture shock for me. Uh, but you're learning in the in the sort of that Western world, the Western idea of actually how to do archaeology. So, in, you know, our program is the only tribal historic preservation program in the nation. It's anthropology based, so we do teach Western methods, but we also teach an indigenous method. So, like you're saying, our methods are actually grounded in our value system. Yeah. So, for instance, just for an example, is um, I do non-invasive archaeology, and the reason I do that is because of the philosophy of disturbance. Yeah. Um, so in the value system, we see things as animate, alive. There's presence there. Uh, where in the Western world, they may not see it that way or may not even understand that philosophy. So oftentimes in the Western idea of archaeology, you collect, you curate, you put it in repositories or it goes to museums. In, in the indigenous method, we go out, out and do pedestrian survey. It's more of a preservation-minded type of archaeology. So in the collaborative things I'm doing when it comes to archaeology, I have to bring that up constantly of like, okay, this is how I'm going to do the archaeological work that I'm collaborating with you about, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so, and and actually what I'm seeing, especially regional in um, sort of plains archaeology and plateau archaeology is that 
that methodology is becoming quite popular. Exactly. So that, I think that's so important to stress. Mm-hmm. Like that's what I think Kelly is coming. Yeah. This is where the field is going. Mm-hmm. But we've already got talent locally yeah. that knows how to do that work. Yeah. In other words, so the field is moving toward the work that uh, people like you are already doing on the ground. And that's mm-hmm. so important because then we can create a new synergy mm-hmm. by that kind of collaborative work. Yeah, definitely. And I think even Kelly mentioned that she's not interested in doing any excavation anymore Mm. because it's disturbance, you know? I mean, what kind of information are you really looking to get out of it? Because in the Western world, and I guess we could frame this back to Willow in some ways that if we're doing uh, collaborative research in this Western side, we're looking to publish, right? So on the sort of native side, we're not really looking to publish. We're looking to, of course, we're going to write reports, but we're looking to preserve, and preserve institute in place, right? So we don't want to move those things off the landscape. And in Western archaeology, we also tell you that anytime you remove things, the context is lost. So what does that really mean? And so I would say to Western archaeologists, you know, why do you want to excavate? I see that there's there's times and places to do that, especially when big projects are happening and things are going to be destroyed or disturbed. That's I think that's when you do those types of things. Or in grand archaeology, when you're trying to answer these really big, broad questions. But as native peoples, we're not really interested in that per se, because um, we've already had archaeologists for a long period of time telling our stories for us. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I get to sort of reverse that. And I can say, this is our story coming from a native perspective. And it's going to involve non-disturbance archaeology yeah. <laughs> you know and uh, let's dig into that a little bit it, it's not just that you have stories to tell from the work you actually have stories that tell you about the work so native stories are actually breaking new ground because by tapping into oral traditions you're actually yes. locating things that otherwise would not have been located right is that, is that kind of a good way of putting it That's but a, the story is driving the research you're, you're spot on because you know one of the things that we do is we look at our ethnography our mm-hmm. our background um, it's not written, it's it's oral tradition. And a lot of times what we're seeing now is that we're validating our own stories from yep. the past. Yep. And a lot of times archaeology, if it's not something that's been written down, it's not valid. And so, yeah, we're able to <laughs> just say this is the reality of something based on our oral tradition and the archaeology confirms it. Yeah. You know, And so, uh, for instance, i Ran a field school out at Missouri Headwaters State Park this summer, two-week field school. I was supposed to be in Yellowstone, um, but, floods. but the floods <laughs> happened, and so I couldn't get there this year. But I'll be back there next year. But um, we have a lot of oral tradition related to that Missouri Headwaters area. And so just actually getting out there on the ground and feeling that presence and looking around and saying, okay, what is going on here? What has been going on here in the past? Uh, we actually had... Uh, a band of Salish that was kind of located in that area in prehistory. But after disease and, and um, the horse and the gun and all the kinds of things that were going on with colonialism, that band almost completely died out. Hmm. And so the, the remnants of those people ended up in the Bitterroot Valley with the current Bitterroot Salish folks, you know? And so, um, but just getting out there on the ground and looking around and going, well, this is where I would want to be too, you know, because it's, it's lush with resources, um, and I mean, the bison would come right through that area. He has a Madison buffalo jump is right there, yep. and I'm basically st- sitting there and going, 
I'm sitting in a place where my ancestors probably had been and camped and did all kinds of different things. And then I actually get to go and look at the archaeology on the ground. And it confirms that people were there. Mm-hmm. And so that confirms our existence there. I can't tell you much more about some like, like oral tradition stories when it comes to creation and things like that. But um, it, it validates our presence, really, yeah. in the region for a long-standing period of time as well. I mean, we, we talk about our existence through oral tradition just in this region for at least 12,000 years. We have oral tradition related to when Glacier Lake Missoula was here. Yeah, that's you know? that's the one that, and I might have to pause here just to make sure I get his name right, but it's Tim Ryan, right? Tim Ryan, yeah. Yeah, so that's that's the experience I had with Tim telling yeah. that story on the shores of the Flathead Lake. Yes. <laughs> and then you look around and you're like, yeah, of course, right? In other words, it, it's so clear. The story tells a, a, a clear account of glacial retreat and you're looking mm-hmm. at all the evidence all around you. Yeah, I mean, they have verified... Uh, archaeological sites at the water level where Glacial Lake Missoula would have been during that period of time. And so that tells us people were here. Yep. And it's probably either my ancestors or Kootenai folks' ancestors. They probably had the longest tenure in the region, mm-hmm. for sure. Um, so these would have been Clovis hunters, you know. Yeah. <laughs> they would have been hunting megafauna. And, and you know, and I just always think about that. And I tell my students this all the time is, um, I said, you're sitting here because your ancestors were very resilient. Mm-hmm. The only reason you're here today is because they were very successful. They could adapt. They could adapt culturally. They could adapt physically, you know, yep. and they were strong people. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here today. We wouldn't be sitting here, you and I, having this conversation. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. Know? No, that's that's fantastic. And I, I think there's a big human story there, too. Yeah. In other words, a big human story about resilience and the bottlenecks that the species have gone through that <laughs> yes. we need to kind of remind ourselves that that's the side of us that that knows how to solve problems mm-hmm. when when we're, we're faced uh yeah. against them but to have that local example so inspiring the students must love that right I, I, I mean think, they must light up i think they do you know um i'll have students that'll take uh like like i'm teaching intro to anthropology right now and i get it's, it's an elective across campus so we get a lot of students from other programs that take this class and uh, by the end of the 10 week period, you can just see the light bulbs going off yeah. and, and they're questioning their own like belief systems. And they're just, they've been exposed to something that they've never been exposed to before. And that's what happened to me when I was here at U of M, I was in the political science program starting off. I just chose something because I didn't really know what to do. Yeah. And, so you were uh, talking about as an undergrad, you yeah. came, you came down yep. to just want to be a student, figuring it out. You kind yep. of randomly chose a major. Yeah, and so I, I took intro to anthropology here as a as an elective to fill my social sciences elective, and I loved it, you know, and I was like, well, this is what I want to do because even when I was a, a, a kid, I was interested in archaeology. I found my first projectile point, my first arrowhead when I was like nine years old, right on our property in Spring Creek, right along down uh, north of Arlie, and I was hooked at that point because I was like wow people have been here and so then my eyes were always glued to the ground after that I didn't really know much about anthropology and I, I knew what archaeology kind of was but um and then when I found out archaeology is a subfield of anthropology I was like okay well that's, that's it what, yeah. that's it I'm hooked I'm I'm all in you know um but I mean just getting back to the students at SKC I see that kind of thing happening as well and then I'll, I'll I'll tell them I said well this is a Western part of what we're teaching here at SKC, but 
really our students in, in this program are here for the preservation side. And then they go, well, what is that? Mm. And we've actually had students change majors after taking anthropology classes at SKC because they go, well, I didn't know this program even existed. I didn't even know there was such a thing. Yeah, I would like to do this too. And so I've had many students, I mean, we kind of, Pick them out of other programs at, a, at least they're staying at SKC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, we're definitely taking them and poaching, recruiting, them. Yeah. Them, <laughs> poaching yeah. them over to our yeah. program. You know. So um, in your own journey, then I mean, you finished that uh, undergraduate degree, but I mean, you have a fairly you know layered life journey in terms of education, right? Oh yeah, it's been interesting. Out of high school, I came to U of M. Right out of high school, um, U of M was still on the try. 10 week yeah. system at that time the quarters. Yeah. And my, my dream was I wanted to run track for U of M, you know? And so, um, I didn't make it to pass the second term and failed out. And I, I just wasn't, I don't think I was ready at that time. I wasn't yeah. ready to go to school. I didn't have much as far as life experience outside of the reservation. My life was working on the ranch, going to school, playing sports, School really didn't interest me all that much. I, I think with, without sports, I probably wouldn't even have made it through high school, just be, to be honest with yeah, you. Yeah. So then I, you know, I spent, oh, 11, 12 years just being a laborer, working. I fought fire, wildland fire, right out of high school. So I did that every year until I was around 28, 29, and I took a couple years off, decided to do some construction with some friends, just framing houses and doing that kind of thing. And I wasn't really enjoying it. And I was actually out in Frenchtown in late, mid to late December. And I was the only one that showed up to the job site that morning. And it was cold. So I was shoveling off the, the base of the, because we were getting ready to frame the walls and everything that day. And it wasn't until like noon and the foreman showed up. And uh, as soon as he showed up all morning, I was going, what am, why am I doing this? What am I here for? I don't need, I have no feature in this kind of thing. This is not what I want to do. I said, I, I think I should go back to school. Mm. And so I'm contemplating this all morning while I'm there by myself shoveling snow. And so the foreman shows up and, and I, I just put down my, my work bags and I said, I'm going to Missoula. And he's like, what are, what are you doing? And I said, I'm going to sign up for classes that you <laughs> I'm going back to school. And he's like, what? And that was last, my last day with I him, you that. know, yeah. I just said, I'm done with this. I just, it's not what Thanks I want to Thanks for helping do. me make the decision. <laughs> yeah, it was a real easy decision after that morning. Yeah. And so I started classes that, that, um, spring term here at, at U of M and, uh, it took a little bit of time to get it, like figure out what I wanted to do. But once I figured that out, you know, I was just, like I said, I was all in, yeah. you know, and so. That's such an important story for people to hear, right? I mean, you, first of all, you learned a lot of stuff working yeah. that you bring <laughs> to your work, right? I mean, you know what a hard day's work looks yes, like, right? So I'm sure, I'm sure when you're out in the field doing field work, right? I mean, all that oh, comes back to bear. It's not even a job to go out in the field doing field yeah, work. Yeah, that seems easy, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think, I mean, I think people who haven't done, haven't gone to grad school and haven't done, you know, research may not realize how important that work ethic is. I mean, yeah. you, you're not getting through grad school without a really strong work ethic. That's so true. you got that in this other way, right? Yeah. By, by doing the hard labor. It was, it was, um, I mean, you just don't want to go down a path that you don't enjoy. Yep. But, but also at the same time, fighting fire, I love doing that. It was the camaraderie of being out there, the thrill of fighting fire that you're on the edge of some sort of uncertainty sometimes, for most of the time when you're out there. But yeah, that work ethic, and that drive, I think, is what like allowed me or gave me a 
least a, a chance of success, yeah. you know? Yeah. And so um, I, once I started school, I, I valued it because I was like, wow, here's a future. Yeah. And the whole 10, 12 years before that, I was just going day to day, you mm-hmm. know, just wondering what's going to happen. And I, I don't know if that's a good way to live, you know, yeah. but that's what what I did. And so being at U of M, I think it gave me a chance for success for sure. And did you have a sense then once you're finishing that undergrad that you did want to roll straight into the graduate I did. degree? Yeah, I did. I actually I double majored in Native American studies and anthropology. Once I finished my uh, anthropology degree, I went right into grad school. I had a few credits to finish off to get my BA in Native American studies. So I did that at the same time I was taking my core classes for the anthropology program. So I finished up at about a year and a half with um, my core curriculum and then had an opportunity to go do another graduate degree program. Yes. Um, which this is, brings us to Norway. Norway, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Talk about life-changing events. So you did that, um, you had a full degree there? Yeah, or? so it was a, a master's in indigenous philosophy That's at right. the Center for Sami Studies at the University of Troms in Norway. Yeah, so the Sami people, for, for listeners, yeah. right, are, a, are a, an indigenous people mm-hmm. that spread across the northern tier of Scandinavia, Finland, uh, yeah, and in, Norway. And even into Russia and as well. Russia. Yeah, yeah, so they are the indigenous population of that area. Um, it was a wonderful experience. I mean, like you said, full circle, you know, and then I was able to bring my son and my family there, uh, finish the degree, write a master's thesis, and then come back. And then when I got back here, I was able to finish up my thesis for U of M. And so, so within five, four years, I got I was able to finish up two master's degree programs. Yeah. And I, I tell you what, I would have never thought I could ever do that in my entire life. I just, it just didn't seem like I had it in me to do it. Yeah. Um, so it's like, you just day to day, you just keep plugging along and eventually you get there. (laughs) And mentors are opening up these doors for you too, right? People are Mm -hmm. pointing you in these directions. And I think in the case of Trump, so it was Kate Shanley. It was Kate Shanley. Yeah. Um, and she's been, since I was at U of M, she's been a mentor for me and, uh, just always been very supportive. And, you know, she helped develop this collaboration with the University of Troms of Norway. And I was actually on my way over to Butte to the folk festival there in the summertime. And she called and says, hey, do you want to go to Norway? And I said, oh, what, like for what trip? To, what, a conference or something? She's like, no, do you want to go to Norway and go to school? And I said, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> give, me, give me a, I'll talk to you after the folk yeah. festival. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I said, well, Let's visit because I didn't know what it was. And she goes, okay, yeah, just we'll make a time. And then she, we actually did an initial visit, like a 10-day visit, uh, looked at the program, attended a conference there, and then came home. And then I had a long discussion with family about, okay, is this something that I want to do? I said, well, it's all paid for. Why not? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, why so not give it So you took the plunge. I took the plunge and not knowing what was going to happen. And it, it wasn't easy. It definitely wasn't easy, but uh, it changed my whole worldview on just, you know, what do people do on in different places, you know? Yeah. Or so I think sometimes we can get so trapped in our own small world that you can't see the bigger picture, you yeah. know? And so it so definitely probably, was able... There's probably some similarities, you know, northern peoples, right? Yeah. But man, you're way up there, just right <laughs> on the edge of the Arctic Circle. Mm-hmm. And so long uh, winter nights, you oh, know, many and long adjusting to that. <laughs> that was the... I think that was the hardest part for me is my sleep habits were really bad when I was there. Um, 
I was all over the place. I could just never get adjusted with it. Um, My son was able to do it pretty easy, and he was only eight at the time, so we put him right in the local public school, and within six months, he was speaking fluent Norwegian at his age level. You know, I wasn't able to do that because everybody sort of my age wants to speak English with you, yeah. you know, cause they, you know, they want to get better at their English. Yeah. So I didn't have to struggle when it came to that, but not even on um, the basketball court. Uh, no, you, you know, you could ke- you learn to count to 10 pretty quick because <laughs> you know, you need to know your plays, but yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was also a great incentive to, to be there, you know, to be able to play some, some basketball while I was there as well. So, yeah. uh, those people have turned into lifelong friends. I mean, everybody that I was there with, you know, we still keep in contact with. And like my son was saying today, he's like, I can't wait to go back he goes i wish i could find something that i could do there hmm. i'm like well <laughs> you never know and not those, beyond the question yeah, those doors yeah. open up and it seems yeah. like s- since i've been at u of m i i mean i feel lucky sometimes because i don't know if it was me or just the opportunities came but when they did i i i just tried to grab onto them as best as possible such an important takeaway for for listeners who are thinking about their education. I mean, it's it's find those opportunities, jump in, yeah. go two feet in. Yeah, exactly. Just you never know what's going to happen, you know. So I think a lot of people live in that little space of fear, and I do to myself sometimes as well. But you just never know until you just go for it, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and so well, yeah. and and so you have such an incredible story, and I know there are these chapters. You referred to one of these chapters possibly to come, right? Which mm-hmm. would be the PhD, and mm-hmm. um, I'm only circling back to that because I, you know, that's something we also have been talking about you and I over the last year mm-hmm. about collaborations between the two institutions and yeah. what are the ways that UM in particular, you know, SKC is not alone among the tribal colleges and, and universities, the TCUs, mm-hmm. in in needing to build out its capacity, right? Yeah. How do you build out your faculty capacity, yeah. right? And so they're looking for all kinds of ways. So SKC's added some master's programs. You're talking about a possible another master's program, Mm -hmm. but then you've got this possibility of going uh, and and doing a dissertation, finishing Mm -hmm. a PhD. Um, Now that you're kind of thinking about it, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm guessing you're probably switching from, do I really need this to what's the possibility that could could unfold by doing it? Exactly. That's where I was because I, like I said earlier, I, I, I didn't see it in my future because I felt like everything was just kind of going where, where it needed to go. And the only reason this has came out is because of the Willow Project. Yep, I, that's um, what I was trying to kind of get to. And again, another yeah. full circle thing is... Being around these mm-hmm. other faculty members and seeing mm-hmm. other kind of possible projects and, yeah. and things that you could do kind of inspired you. Yeah, it definitely did. And um, we'll just have to see. And I, I would want to come here. I definitely would. I know they say you shouldn't do your bachelor's, your master's, and your doctorate all at the same place. But I can't see myself going anywhere else, really. Um, this is the area that I want to be in. I'd... I love Montana. I just can't see myself going anywhere else to do that. And so, so if you have M, you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> We're listening. <laughs> okay. Um, but I mean, we'll just have to see where it goes because now if we have a, a master's degree, if we can get that in place at, at SKC, that's, I want, I would want to teach in that program, Yeah. you know, and yeah. that means we can bring in more faculty. We can grow our department even more. Yeah. And then just to, just to take another step back, you know, Kate and I worked through the Willow program. What the project that I decided to do early on was with collabor- in collaboration with Kate Shanley, and we wanted to work on a master's degree for the for the Native American Studies degree here, or, or work on one for U of M. And so we applied for a grant, the Henry Lucy Foundation grant, fifty thousand dollars to sort of get it off the ground and. 
um, create some time for us to do things. And But then COVID hit. So we were planning to travel and look at some other programs out there and see what they what, what the models were and then try to build that program um, and then present it to the Board of Regents and see where it went. Um, now, as far as I know, um, well, Kate has retired. Yeah, but it was approved. You, yeah, you know, and, that, and it's and been that, approved. Yeah. So I'm like, wow, okay, so – Something good came out of Willow. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm glad I was part of that collaboration effort. I feel like all I do is collaborate. I think (laughs) that's feels like that's my world. And and I love to do it, you know. And so um, I collaborate in archaeology. I'm collaborating as far as building um, capacity at SKC through fellowship programs and things like that. I want to create opportunities for our students there. And the reason I feel like I'm I need to do that or I owe that to our students is because that's what happened with me. If it wasn't for the Kate Shanleys out there yep. and others, I wouldn't be where I'm at today. And I don't know if you, I don't know what you even want to call it. I don't, if it's success or whatever it is, it just, I'm happy yep. <laughs> with what I'm doing, right. you know? And so, um, and there's nothing more important. And, and especially when you're happy doing the work that gives back so mm-hmm. importantly to your community, right? That's, that's so, and yeah. Kate, I mean, that's, you're not the only person to have this story about Kate. I mean, it's worth <laughs> saying and, and getting it on record. I mean, what an incredible person and, and oh, gosh, played yeah. such an important role in mentoring a number of, of students, including graduate students. And, mm-hmm. you know, in our podcast, that's one of the things we really like to elevate is that, that role of the mentor and the incredibly important, but also kind of subtle role they'll play it's not mm-hmm. just about the courses and it's not just about the curriculum right it's about it's this the, the stuff that happens between it, uh, it is it's those those little things where you know kate's door was always open it wasn't like it, you you show and they don't have time for you it's like no come on in because that was inviting and without that i, I don't know if i'd have really wanted to be a part of it you know it, it's it's not just the coursework it's not just the program it's the people and I mean, even lifelong colleagues that I went to school with, I still keep in touch with them, you know, and they're all out there doing their thing as well, you know, yeah, yeah. and it's, it's really great because we can have those conversations and be like, wow, what are you up to? You know, and uh, those things also turn into collaboration. Yeah, <laughs> you know? absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and you're a connector. That's just such an obvious one of your attributes, your interpersonal, you know, just you're always looking well, to connect you. with people. And that's, <laughs> I think it's just it's it's a skill that not everyone has. Right. And you've got it in in great depth. Well, I, sometimes. maybe. <laughs> <laughs> right. So we end every episode with what we call quick hitters. Mm-hmm. Don't overthink them. OK. First thing comes to your mind. Morning or night person. Night person. Sunrise or sunset. Sunset. Yellowstone or glacier. Ooh. Yeah, oh, that's a tough on one. Now. <laughs> well, I'm working in Glacier. I was working in Glacier doing archaeology. I was, and now, now I'm working in Yellowstone. So if they're listening, I, both. I, I got to <laughs> say both. Yeah, you both in. <laughs> What's your favorite Montana river and why? Uh, the Jocko River. It's, uh, it runs right on their reservation out of the Jocko Canyon all the way to the Flat River, and I lived on that river. My my dad's property when I growing up was on that river, and so every summer, every day in the winter, anything that I had a day where I could hit the river, I was fishing it. What's your favorite, <laughs> and I think I know the answer to this, but I'll ask it anyway. What's your favorite Montana mountain range? Mountain range? Mission mountain range, for yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah. I and mean, what's not to love there? Oh, gosh. I mean, it's 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 a place where it's it's got such beauty 
but it's so dangerous at the same time. Yeah, Mission Mount Rains for sure. I might have an inkling on this one, but what's your shadow profession? What's something that you thought about doing that you never did? So you can't count firefighting. Uh, gosh, I don't know. Shadow profession. Anything that you ever just dreamed or fantasized about being that, or have you just like oh, I mean, become the thing you fantasized? I mentioned uh, earlier, I mean, I, I would if I had opportunity, I would go and jump on a fishing boat in the Bering Sea just to try it out. Oh, cool. You know, because it just, to me, that is like comparable to fighting fire. Yeah. yeah. Like the, the, the danger. And, and you're and, a thrill seeker, right? I mean, I let's am, be clear. Like, you know, I in the am, summer, you're down on the rivers. You're down on the, the snake, I think. I'm on right? uh, Locksaw River mm-hmm. in the springtime, riverboarding there. Doing uh, rescue, um, just enjoying the river as much as possible. It's just it's a pretty short season there. It lasts for about two two and a half months. In the summertime, we hit the gorge, hit the Flat River, and riverboarding is kind of a newer type of sport. It's not paddleboarding. You're in the water. The your back half of your body is in the water, so we wear dry suits with fins on. Yeah, um, it's bodyboarding in a river. Like if people have seen. Yeah, that. we're yeah. doing class four and five on the locks on the spring. And you know you're face first, and so you're punching waves with your with your face basically yeah. in the board. Yeah. And so to me, like that, I, I can't see myself not doing it. Yeah. You know, I just need those kind of things in my life because after not fighting fire anymore, I was missing something. And then this kind of just fell into my lap with a friend that I f- actually fought fire with, and he's like, "You got to come try it, man." Yeah, yeah. And so once I did, I was hooked. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <clears throat> what's the one piece of music you would listen to for eternity? Oh gosh, I used to listen to that. I don't know if you ever seen the the film Amelie. Mm, yeah, and it, uh, most of my friends would probably wouldn't know this about me, but I don't always listen to like pop popular music. I, I love. I would put that on and fall asleep to it. The soundtrack, listen, the whole soundtrack, yeah. and just listen to it over and over Can and you over. How many of it? I mean, it's still in your brain. Yeah, I mean, it's that accordion type music that, da, 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 you know, and keep going. It's, Let's it's, hear it's it. very <laughs> methodical. Yeah, and it just, it just kind of just gets into your psyche and like, mm. I could, I would, I would listen to it when I study mm. or anything else I'm doing. It could be in the background, and it also, it almost like it's um, helps you focus. You know, mm. it's kind of mesmerizing and focusing at the same time. And oh, cool. and pretty soon, you know, you're you're working or doing something, and an hour and a half later, you're like, what did, what just happened? You know, just cool. went through this. You know, and yeah. you're then you're putting on repeat. <laughs> you know, let's get to do it, to it what, again. Well, so thank you so much for coming down and joining yeah. us on Confluence. This has been great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been a ball. If you like what you've heard, you've got a team of talented graduate students to thank. Produced and edited by Kathleen Shannon from the MA program in journalism. Sound designed with according help from Kate Lloyd from the MFA program in media arts. Jacob Christensen from the MFA program in theater edits the website and works the social media magic. From Pride and Prejudice.